Hi friends, I am your host Jade and welcome or welcome back to Criminal Curiosity, the true crime podcast that dives into bizarre and fascinating cases. Together we talk about everything in the true crime world, whether you've heard of them or not. So buckle up and get ready to feed your curiosity with Criminal Curiosity. This week, we are going to be talking about the murder of Christine Schultz and the case against a former police officer, Lori Bembenek. So let's get started. Lori Bembenek was born Laurencia Ann Bembenek on August 15, 1958, to her parents Joseph and Virginia Bembenek in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Of her three sisters, she was the youngest. Joseph, Lori's father, was a police officer who later started working as a carpenter. Lori was raised Catholic. She attended the St. Augustine Elementary School. Lori claims that she rapidly got bored at school. She states, quote, We were reading books I'd read two or three years earlier. I lost interest in my studies, end quote. She joined the school band where she played the flute and ran track. Lori visited Daytona Beach, Florida for spring break during her senior year. During this time, she met Danny, and their relationship lasted four years. In 1976, Lori graduated high school. There is a memoir titled Woman on Trial, written in 1992. According to the book, Lori is a highly brilliant and articulate woman. But after high school, she was more concerned with her relationship than her aspiration for the future or her desired career. She was too young to be a police assistant when she was in high school. A police assistant is someone who assists police officers and completes paperwork such as accident reports and arrest records. So in the meantime, Lori studied fashion merchandising at a trade school while also working as a model. After that, she was able to secure a part-time position at the clothing store, The Limited, and the Boston store. A friend of Lori's name, Avika, claimed that Lori always attracted attention wherever they went. She states, quote, She was always stunningly gorgeous. She would always make sure I was included. That's what friends do. End quote. She made an appearance in 1978 as Miss March for a calendar sold by the Joseph Schultz Brewing Company. In March 1980, when Lori was 21 years old, she applied and was hired by the Milwaukee Police Department. Lori discussed the impact of her choice on her relationship with Danny. She claimed that he desired the traditional lifestyle, one in which Lori would be a stay-at-home mom after they got married and after they had children. Lori states, quote, I told him I didn't want to marry, didn't plan to have children, ever, and even if I did eventually marry, I'd want to be secure in a career first. And so, on a quiet Saturday afternoon, I picked up the phone and we said goodbye. End quote. In March 1980, Lori started her training at the Milwaukee Police Academy. While Lori was still in training, police received a tip that someone had seen her smoking weed at a party. Lori denied this claim. She revealed that the source of the information was a police officer's wife, who had complained about Lori's clothing and believed that Lori was attempting to seduce her husband. The claim faded out because there was no proof that Lori was using marijuana. Lori completed the 21-week training program in the summer of 1980, and she was assigned to the Southside area. According to Lori's autobiography, the police force was made up of, quote, brutal, lazy, apathetic, and corrupt officers, unquote. 
She claimed that during training, female and minority trainees were the target of harassment and abuse. She further claims that white male police officers were never disciplined for significant violations, but the female and minority trainees were frequently suspended or fired for minor violations. Lori met Judy Zess, another trainee, while she was in the training academy. In May 1980, they attended a rock concert, and Judy was detained for smoking marijuana. Lori was fired when Judy accused her of doing the same. Following Lori's termination, she came across some scandalous pictures of both male and female police officers dancing naked on picnic tables in Gordon Park. Lori took these pictures to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. There, she argued that she was accused of something so minor, which was never proven. Yet, there are police officers dancing naked in public and everyone turns a blind eye. They didn't get punished for it. But she was but she was punished and fired for a claim that was never proven. She was instructed to file a complaint with the Milwaukee Police Department's Internal Affairs Division by the Equal Employment Representatives. At this point, according to Lori, she experienced a depressive episode. She began babysitting and was having trouble securing employment at another police department or even as a security guard. She stated, quote, My life seemed to be falling apart. I tried to pick up the pieces to stabilize it, but I couldn't, end quote. She later meets Alfred Schultz, 13-year veteran of the Milwaukee Police Department and was one of the officers in the photographs. Alfred had two sons and recently divorced his first wife, Christine Schultz, in November 1980. In 1980, Alfred brought Lori to a holiday party at the municipal court. She states, quote, I was drawn in by his overwhelming personality. He was manipulative and consuming, but he was also the life of any party. He allowed me to forget my depression for a while, end quote. Lori had a friend named Joanne from when they were in school, and one day Lori and Alfred met Joanne and her boyfriend. Joanne states, quote, Joanne states, quote, I thought Lori was a attention getter, but Fred was over the top. He was a spotlight when he walked into the room, end quote. She summed him up in one word, which was loud. She states that he was loud because of the way he acted, the way he dressed, and the way he was always fixing his hair, and Joanne wasn't really the biggest fan of him. On January 30th, 1981, in Waukegan, Illinois, Lori and Alfred tied the knot after two months of dating. The pair remarried in November 1981, after a judge declared their first marriage invalid because Alfred didn't wait the required six months following his divorce to get remarried. Lori was now employed as a part-time trainer for a health club, and she and Alfred shared an apartment with Judy Zess, the lady who claimed that Lori had been smoking weed and got Lori fired. Money became scarce once Judy moved out. Alfred was paying $383 per month for the mortgage on the house where his ex-wife Christine still lived, which in today's prices would be $1,288. He was also paying $365 per month in child support as well as alimony. On May 28, 1981, at around 2.15 in the morning, Alfred's ex-wife Christine was killed in her home. She was shot point-blank in her back with a 38 caliber pistol. 
She was gagged and blindfolded, and her hands were tied in front of her with a rope. Her two sons were 11 and 7 years old at the time. They found her face down in her bed. Sean, her oldest son, claimed to have seen the murderer, who he described as a masked man wearing an army green outfit and black shoes with a long red ponytail. At the time of her murder, Christine and Alfred had been divorced for six months. Alfred initially claimed that him and his colleague were investigating a burglary when Christine was killed, but he later claimed that he had been drinking at a nearby bar. The ballistics revealed that it was an off-duty revolver. The police immediately suspected Lori because she was at home alone and had access to both the pistol and Christine's house because she had duplicated a key from the oldest son. Lori was arrested on June 24, 1981 for the murder of Christine Schultz. When Lori's trial was widely covered by the media in 1982, she started to get the nickname Bambi Bambanek, which she hated. According to the prosecution, Lori was an ambitious woman who wanted Christine dead so her husband wouldn't have to pay the expenses of the mortgage, child support, and alimony. In court, it was also made clear that Lori was the only one with a motive for murder because she was experiencing financial difficulties. Since Alfred wasn't at the house and Lori had a duplicate set of Christine's house keys, the prosecution claims Lori was the only person with access to the off-duty gun. There were no indications of a break-in and no valuables were taken. They discovered two sets of human hair that matched those retrieved from the defendant's hairbrush. The oldest son of Christine Schultz, Sean Schultz, claimed that Lori was not the one who killed his mother. Witnesses came forward and claimed that Lori had mentioned killing Christine several times. The prosecution presented a witness who claimed that Lori made an offer, pay him, to kill Christine. Witnesses also said that Lori was wearing a green tracksuit that resembled the one Sean Schultz claimed to have seen. They also mentioned Lori's possession of a clothesline and a blue bandana, all of which may have been used to bind and constrain the victim. Additionally, they discovered a wig in Lori's apartment plumbing system that matched fibers found at the crime scene. According to a store employee, Lori purchased the wig just before the murder. Lori Bembenek was found guilty of first-degree murder and given a life sentence on March 9, 1982. She was detained at the Techita Correctional Facility in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Lori completed her undergraduate studies at the University of Wisconsin while incarcerated and also assisted in being a founder for an inmate newspaper because he was living with a 19-year-old woman in Florida. On June 19, 1984, their divorce was finalized. Alfred initially thought Lori was innocent when they were together, but later changed his opinion and declared she was, quote, guilty as sin, unquote. Lori claimed that she thought Alfred had hired a hitman to kill his ex-wife and made it appear as though Lori had done it. Freddie Horenberger, according to Lori, was the murderer. Days before the murders, the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office questioned Freddie and an accomplice. Freddie, who was also Judy Zess's ex, collaborated with Alfred on a redesigning project. Freddie robs Judy in her apartment 35 days after the murder while wearing a green tracksuit and a red wig. 
Lori thought Freddie was the person Alfred hired. In 1991, Freddie was committing armed robbery, which turned into a hostage situation when he took his own life. Eight years later, she meets 35-year-old Dominic Gugliato, a factory worker whose sister shared Lori's cell. Soon after, they started writing each other letters, and Dominic would pay Lori a visit three times a week. They eventually fell in love, and they came up with a plan in order for them to be together. Lori needed to escape. Lori and her team were trying appeals, and every one of them denied, so she thought she had nothing to lose at this point. Eight years into her life sentence, on July 15, 1990, Lori managed to escape through a laundry room window, climbed a nine-foot barbed wire, When the pair was located in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, two days later, the truck had been abandoned in a Target parking lot. Then, Lori and Dominic took off for Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. They utilized false names in Canada. Lori used the name Jennifer Gazana. They rented an apartment together where they lived for the next three months while Lori worked as a waitress and a fitness trainer. When the press learned that Lori had escaped, they coined the phrase, Run Bambi Run. The police were contacted by a Thunder Bay resident who had seen Lori's picture on America's Most Wanted. Dominique was transferred back to America in November after being captured on October 17, 1990, and was sentenced to one year for helping Lori escape. In Canada, Lori hired Canadian lawyers and applied for refugee status, claiming that the Milwaukee Police Department had set her up as a murder suspect. The Milwaukee courts and the Canadian government came to an agreement. The prosecutor's office in Milwaukee County submitted a proposal. Lori would be released on parole after entering a no-contest plea to a charge of second-degree murder. On April 22, 1991, Lori arrived back in America. She entered a no-contest plea to second-degree murder on December 9, 1992, during a hearing. She received a 20-year prison term, but it was reduced to time served. After the hearing, which lasted three hours, she was free. You can imagine that one struggles to reintegrate into society after serving time in prison. Lori experienced a great deal of difficulty. She was arrested for possession of marijuana. She was diagnosed with PTSD. She admitted to being an alcoholic. She slept for 15 hours every day, and had suicidal thoughts. She was also suffering from hepatitis C and liver disease. With assets and liabilities over $2 million, Lori filed for bankruptcy. She legally changed her name to Lori Bembenek in July 1994. And in 1996, she relocated to Washington State to be with her now-retired parents. She married Marty Carson, a member of the U.S. Forest Service, in 2005. While Lori was growing up, several of her early works were displayed at an art exhibition at the University of Wisconsin. She had a studio which was built for her by Marty, and she created 30 paintings that were shown at the local gallery. But the gallery burnt down and all her paintings were destroyed. In 2002, Lori had a flashback of being in prison and... She either fell or jumped from a second-story window, breaking her leg, and she had to get the leg amputated below the knee. 
Lori filed a petition with the United States Supreme Court in 2008 asking for the second-degree murder conviction to be overturned based on new evidence that was not presented at the first trial. The tests showed that Christine had sex with a man before her death, and ballistic tests did not match the bullets to Fred Schultz's gun. At the time Lori's leg was amputated, she was also diagnosed with diabetes. After Lori's mother passed away, her father passed away 18 months later. Due to Lori's conviction, her sister petitioned the court after her father passed away to have Lori's name removed as their father's designated caretaker. When the couple were married, they bought a pair of miniature horses, and they would go out to the farm and ride them. But Marty's work schedule caused their marriage to end in 2007. Lori then moved across the street from Marty, and they remained good friends. At the age of 52, Lori passed away from kidney and liver failure at a hospice facility in Portland, Oregon, on November 20th, 2010. Because Lori didn't want a funeral, the intimate memorial service was attended only by Marty's family and a high school friend of Lori's. Marty spoke about her memory and life, even though he couldn't be present in person. In an interview, Lori was asked to rate her life on a scale of 1 to 10, and she responded with a 2. My thoughts? I don't think she murdered Christine. Police were so focused on her being the murderer. We might never know who murdered Christine, and since being in prison, her life never got better. She struggled so much in her life, whether that was mentally, physically, financially, emotionally. She struggled a lot, and she was dealt some very bad cards in her life. And this story is similar to the case of David Cam, who worked for the Indiana State Patrol, and his former co-workers created an entire story to fit their version of events to seem like he murdered his entire family. That's what happened here. The Milwaukee Police Department created a story to fit their version of events that Lori murdered Christine because she was struggling financially. And with that, today's story comes to an end. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, every Thursday, there is a new episode. You can keep up with me and the podcast at Instagram at Criminal Curiosity Pod. That is all that I have for you today. Please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time, bye everyone. Thank you.